Ted Milifalch, which is a hundred thousand welcomes in Irish Gaelic. A hundred thousand welcomes to all of you to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the founder, the creator, the C whatever, C O everything, uh, E O F O G O U F O of Daddy Unscripted and the podcast host. I am welcoming you in Irish Gaelic for the reason that I welcome you to every episode in a different language to try to bestow upon you another extra bonus free to you gem of knowledge from each episode. So you are welcome for that. I'm very happy to have all of you here for this episode with Jason Ronk and myself. And Jason talks a lot about it in this episode of his support and his investment in the Osiris network and Osiris media. And I will say thank you to not only Jason, but all of you investors in Osiris. You can find out more about that at osirispod.com. And you can find ways to listen to all of the other podcasts on the network through the website. You can listen to my podcast through the website and find all of the other podcasts that are a part of the network. I will lead you into that by giving you an opportunity to listen to this podcast, tell you a little bit more about what their podcast is about. So here's that really quickly. The Helping Friendly Podcast explores the music and fan experience of Fish through interviews and deep dives on shows and tours. And Quick Hits, a review of every show of the tour the next day with someone who was there. We started HF Pod in 2013 to bring the fan voice into the discussion. We're six years in, and with the help of our guests, we're still discovering new angles of appreciation for the band we all love. Whether you're new to Fish or you've been listening for years, we think you'll find something to enjoy on HF Pod. Search for the Helping Friendly Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or find us on the web at hfpod.com. Okay, and again, make sure you check out that podcast and all the others on osirispod.com. Hey, everybody, really quick. This is the first half of my conversation with Jason. I'm just going to let the normal intro roll and let you go into it. But I just wanted to let you know, I know you saw the part one in the name, but this was originally thought to just be one episode. This is a new trend I am in right now. I'm not creating a trend. I'm not following a trend. I just am in it with myself, which is kind of fun. It's like a loner trend, but this is just part one. I will let the episode go as it will when the episode ends. It's not super abrupt, but you'll see it was a perfect stopping point. If you were to put halves one and two together, you will notice that, but it will end as it ends. And I will give you a little explanation at the end as well. But here is my normal beginning to this episode. also remind you that Osiris is partnered with Jambase and Jambase empowers people like you and me and the person behind you and everybody around you to go see live music. 
So you can find music news, you can find where your favorite band or bands that you don't even know about are playing live near you and how to go see them. So jambase.com will lead you to that place. And now I will take you to a fantastic place, which is my conversation with Jason. So let's get right to it. My conversation with Jason Ronk. All right, we are here today with Jason Ronk. I'm tell me I'm saying your name right. You got it right. Yes. Ronk. I would assume yeah. like I <laughs> I'm pretty good with last names, but I right as I said that I thought this is too easy. It's it's way too <laughs> easy and people have complicated it. I get Wonk, Rank. Oh. I mean, I've gotten, you know, mail incorrectly spelled, but no, you got it right wrong. Good. Yeah, cool. Yep. Um so Jason is a big part of the uh, Twitter community that continues to kind of bring very out of my normal bubble uh, guests to the podcast, which is fantastic that these are people that I'm getting to meet basically through social media, through Twitter and through, you know, the six degrees or however many degrees of separation, the 98 degrees for some of you who live in hot weather climates. (laughs) Huge welcome to you, Jason. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. It's it's an honor and an absolute uh, blessing to be here and the opportunity to, you know, share heart to heart and maybe get some other people to listen and uh, relate to what's going on and, and uh, see how fun and uh, adventurous it can be to be a dad and how difficult and hard it can be to be a dad at some times. So. Yeah. It's, it ain't it ain't easy. Right. It is not easy. And it's funny. I think that is the simplest thing. And I think now, I don't know if it's just because of social media or just because some people actually uh, within the last decade or so have started getting real. But I think it is funny how many more women I've heard say, God, like they never talk about the yucky parts, the sad parts, the very difficult parts of pregnancy alone, let alone mommyhood and parenting has always kind of been something that, you know, back in the good old days when our parents were Mm -hmm. doing it, they, I don't know, maybe that's why women were having their bridge games together so that they could complain and bitch about how tough it was over Parcheesi or whatever they were doing. And then, you know, everything else was shimmering rainbows and mm-hmm. uh, unicorns. I don't know. Yeah. So my thing is, is, and I get that. And it's like, so coming into fatherhood, so our son Porter was born and I was working at that time. And then we lived in the city of Chicago until he was right around three years old. So I was working the whole time. We had a, a nanny, which turned into what we called the Manny. Her uh, Ukrainian husband took over and would shuffle Porter around the city. But then we moved out of the city south um, into a town called New Lenox, bought a farmhouse, and our baby number two was on the way. And um, it just worked out to where my wife's job financially kind of grew a little bit and she took over, you know, facility administrator for this healthcare provider kind of thing. And it was like, you know, it was going to be really expensive to have two kids in, in childcare at the same time. So I was like, well, mm. and my salary was less than hers and I said, okay, well, why don't, 
she's like, why don't you just stay home for a few years and we'll bite the bullet a little bit and have to pinch some pennies, but this will be incredible. And I was like, okay. So I did. And I'm still doing it now. And I still, I think I have a couple of years left probably, but I tell you what, about three months into it, my literally my prayers and homages went on the ground and down to the women, women and, and a few men, maybe they did it before me, but definitely the women of like our parents' generation that stayed at home. It's, you know, there's days where I have very little adult interaction, you know, at all. And like, you're craving yeah. that. I get the bridge clubs and I, I even get the, you know, the, the <laughs> vodka under the, uh, the cars to <laughs> soccer mom. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> it's hard. Shit ain't easy. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the most rewarding job I've ever had. And I don't even look at it as a job, but it's definitely the most intense work I've ever participated in as far as getting up. And so those women, our grandmothers and and maybe our great grandmothers, uh, we were standing on the shoulders of some very strong women. Yeah, I did that for a while with my daughter as well, and yeah. quote unquote worked from home. I was able to work remote, and I did yeah. it. I think till she was about sixteen or eighteen months, and yeah. yeah, same thing. Like I, through my photography business, I knew a lot of single moms and stay at home moms and everything, and my respect for them went through the roof like the work that they have to do and just like you said at the beginning of that the lack of and sometimes complete absence of adult interaction that alone can drive you absolutely up a wall it does it can yeah if you let it i think what the thing is for me i've learned is like especially being a stay-at-home dad is like there's these i think it's just human nature there's these little clicks of of moms that kind of link up and do their things. Like I've had to like kind of not forcefully integrate myself into like that community, but like, you know, I've found a couple moms that were really cool. And one recently, um, who's, you know, just kind of a cool earthy kind of hippie kind of mom who's mm-hmm. who knows I'm not on anything other than, Hey, your daughter and my son really get along and they're like besties and like, Hey, let's get them together as much as we can. And, you know, to be with her and her kids and just me and her sitting there drinking coffee, like there's nothing going on besides just us enjoying our kids. I'm like, yeah, just to be breathing the same air as another adult sometimes is like, this is <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is great, too, because you see so many people at parks and stuff like that with their kids, and they are just buried in their phones and not interacting with one another. And I've thought about that sometimes, and I'm thinking, don't you want to talk? I don't know. Like, to me, that's your escape. Mm-hmm. One of the things we've noticed, too, and my wife, we I, I noticed it separately, and then she noticed it on her own, and we came, came together with it, is like... So our son Porter is very, he has a big personality. He's a very loving, very kind, very inclusive child. Not all kids are like that, even at the age mm-hmm. of three and four. And like my, my wife would come home like fuming mad. Like, what, what's like, what's wrong? She's like, well, it happened again. We went to the park. Porter's like, Hey, I got my trucks. I got my toys. Do you want to play? And these other kids just like walk away and don't want anything to do with them. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, he's just like, is that, is that a personality trait of the other kid or is that, what they see at home is that their parents are mutually like their parents are like in this little bubble of, we don't let anybody into our, our little bubble. You know, I don't know what it is, but you know, when, when your son or your daughter finds that other kid like them, you know, you kind of latch onto that. And that's what's happened with him lately with this little girl, Elena. It's like, you know, they're both big personalities, kind of leaders and mm-hmm. uh, they really latch together. And it's like, okay, this is, 
that's the first experience I've had of being happy, being happy internally, really by watching your child be happy. It's like, Ooh, right. That's kind of cool. That's a very fulfilling, you know, experience. Totally. And when they're doing it on the, doing some of that on their own and advocating for themselves and all of that, you know, as opposed to before that you potentially going up to a kid or up to a parent, like, can we play? Can they play? That's a huge step. Yeah. I've gotten upset with kids before. We're like, I've gone home to my wife. He's like, how'd it go? I go, well, I, you know, these five-year-olds didn't want to play with Porter and, and I, I proceeded to act like a five-year-old right with them, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like pushing Porter on the swing and like looking over at these kids. Like I was just, it's like, you just want, at least for me, you know, I want my kids to have their own experiences and I want what's best yeah. for them. Be who you're going to be. I'm, you know, I had that experience when Porter was like two days old. I'm like, he's looking at me and I'm like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, what if you're like this old man that just died like three days ago and like they stuck you back in this little baby's body and like, and you're looking up at me like, dude, just get me to where I can walk and I'm okay. Like, like yeah. I'm, I'm just here to be like, literally like a, a steward of you. I'm, I'm here to, to, uh, to be the good shepherd, just to guide you to where you're supposed to go. <laughs> that would be an amazing experience if that was like the thing for all parents that we were just yeah. guiding these old souls to the ability of them being independent little six-year-olds that could go and <laughs> find their way through life. That would be amazing. We'd probably get along a lot better as a society if we looked at it through those lenses. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and, and he, he is four. So where is he at scholastically? So he's, it's actually in this middle of this beautiful woods at this nature center with like a big log cabin and they have to wear their mud shoes and their big hiking boots and they go out hmm. in the woods and they learn about nature and they're, they come back filthy and all yeah. that. And he does that. And then he does another normal classroom one. So he does that three times a week classroom. Then two weeks he's out you know, tromping through the mud. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's cool. So he's right. He'll be in kindergarten next, uh, next year. So, oh, okay, cool. What a cool experience pre kindergarten to be able to do. I know they have some stuff like that out here in the West coast things where you're actually doing things with your hands and not just like mm -hmm. building with Play-Doh or something like that. Like, getting to respect and see more of earth. Yeah. Yeah. And kids kind of, I remember when he was born, so he was born in the city, um, you know, right in the middle, right by Wrigley field. Um, mm. This beautiful, great hospital. We had a midwife through the, the midwifery. And, um, but the, it was one of the old, there was the, this woman, we had a horrible experience with her when we were doing our, like our weekly checkups or whatever those were. And she had given my wife a bunch of you know, grief about shaving certain private parts because they fought for years that you don't have to shave them. And now every woman wants to shave them. And so my wife was not offended, but she's like, well, that's kind of that old bitch. So weird. <laughs> it was really weird. But then, so, and then my, we're having the, we're going to have the kid we have Porter and, and it's going good, but it's, it's, there's touch and go on some stuff. And mm -hmm. the shift changed and this woman showed up. And, uh, the one we didn't like, and she ended up being, oh boy, heaven, heaven sent because she was like, 
you know, she delivered thousands of babies and she's like, you're going to be okay. And this and that, but right. Literally as my son is being born, like they're like, I can see his head and he's coming out. She looks over and grabs me by the arm and she says, she goes, listen to me. She goes, do not raise this boy in the city. She says, Hmm. get him out of here, get him in the country, get him where he can chase bullfrogs and light firecrackers and make forts and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And he said, cause she said, we're losing our men. And I was like, Oh, huh. <laughs> interesting. Asked, yeah. I said, okay. And, uh, and people can do that. They can raise their children wherever they want and they, they're probably okay and fine. But I, I can see it in him and in a lot of other kids, like when they're in the dirt and the mud and they're mucking it up and, and they're in that connection with nature, which is a part of, you know, the universal spirit and all this stuff. It's like, they seem to be the happiest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's a whole, and not just a physical texture thing, but it, but it is like an emotional and spiritual. I, I don't even know, like there's another plane that I'm not touching on, but yeah. that it is the textures of life that they are, getting into like i can't imagine not having that where you really are like just maybe in a concrete jungle kind of thing where you're not getting any of that experience i'm I'm sure like just like you said like it doesn't mean those kids are growing up evil or anything like that but there is definitely something to getting out and playing in the dirt and you know driving your cars in the dirt and your tractors or whatever it is that you're playing with as opposed to like sitting and um i don't know playing on devices and um which my kids do sure but but also like i i know that there is something absolutely that kind of speaks to your soul in a different way when you're a kid when you are doing things like that and my kids beg for going to the beach when it's not cold i mean they beg for it when it's cold weather too but they absolutely love going to the river or going to the beach or doing anything like that it's it's Mm. just really a it's primitive opens their world it's almost yeah it's this primitive and i had this it came to me i was in texas i think it was last last may at this kind of spiritual retreat for people in recovery and i was in meditation and it it, it hit me and i shared it with one of the men i sponsor that came with me um I said, you know, I think there was a point in time in, in our existence as homo sapiens that we were in perfect communion and harmony with nature. Like we lived symbiotically. We didn't take the land and pave it. We didn't rip stuff out of Mother Earth and pollute the land. There was a point in time where mm-hmm. we lived in perfect harmony. And I think that's what we yearn for. Why? If you think about this, and I was just, we were in South Padre Island like two weeks ago on the beach playing in the surf and like we're the only animal that, that will go out of its way to put itself at risk, you know, (laughs) swimming in the, like, we're not supposed to be in the ocean, but for me to feel that communion with, with the ocean and mother nature, I'll put myself in the ocean or I'll, or Mm -hmm. I'll go like a friends of mine. And I want to do with my son. Well, they'll go on three or four day camping, you know, hike into the, the Colorado, you know, into the mountains or hiking up in Vermont, like, you know, take time and money and, and try to have this experience of doing these things because we want to commune. There's something inside of us that really wants, wants that part of us to be reconnected again. If we can feel that, you know, I think that's what a lot of it is. And I think you can, like you just said, 
you can get that whether you live in the city of LA or you live in San Diego or Chicago or New York. But I think yeah. the more you get out of there and you kind of, and people do, I know people do. That's why people in Chicago on the weekends, they go to Wisconsin. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know people, people who are in like Baltimore and Philly who go to, I don't even know what the name, I can't remember the name of it, but there are places out there that they, typically go to when the weather is right and every region get away. has it. every region has yeah. it. you know and i think it's a good balance of both of because i don't want to live solely in that environment because i love being around people you know mm-hmm. I, I can't live remotely like alaska like bush people i couldn't do that but i can live in chicago or live in the suburbs and and dive into the city when i need to and, and get out when i can and one of the things yeah. i'll tell our kids is that go have Go have the experience you want to have, whatever it is. And if you want to, if you think you want to have that experience of living in a city, whatever it is, like, you know, what I was taught is that the greatest, you know, I don't know where I heard it. I might have heard it on your podcast. It might have been. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like the greatest achievement a parent can get is when your children no longer need you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where they can grow up. Yeah. And, like, they don't have to be home every Sunday for dinner and you got to see them face to face. Like, Right, you know, and that's that's opposite of the environment I grew up. I'm the only one that got out. Like all four of my brothers still live within, you know, ten ten to fifteen mile radius of of the core family, and I'm the one that oh. kind of immediately spread my wings when I was 19. You know, I went and saw the Grateful Dead and met a couple of girls at the Dead concert in 1995, and I said, "Wherever you live, I'm moving to because I want to be around people like you." <laughs> you know, uh, and I did. Awesome. I did. So. Yeah, but. So let's, you made a uh, fantastic segue point. So we'll jump way behind that, but we'll, I I can't wait to get into that Mm. part because that definitely speaks to uh, what kind of my travels were around that same kind of age timeframe. I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you, but I did kind of that same thing. The community around the dead as well as the dead, but the community around it in 1990 was like when I was just barely 18 was, Oh yeah. I know. Like that was everything. That's what I, so I went to the last, this little farm town boy grew up in central Illinois. I went to that last dead show in Chicago. We went to both of them and Mm. uh, man, it talk about, it was like almost, too much i think sensory overload i couldn't wrap my mind up around meeting a girl there who was my age who had been to like 200 some dead shows and her first dead Mm -hmm. shows and literally like her first dead show was in 1977 when she was a year old like wow and she wasn't making it up like that had happened (laughs) yeah yeah your life is so much different than mine and i want to know all about it (laughs) so let's go back to uh to your paternal line whatever it makes sense to go to whether it's your grandpa or your great grandpa but um sure. take us back through through that timeline yeah so we'll start let's start with my parents so my mom her name is barbara hap originally and then my dad is john Ronk. so they both grew up in um little itty bitty bitty farm towns in central illinois which is um we're probably two hours west where i grew up was two hours west of indianapolis and then two hours mm. south of Chicago, and then two hours north east of St. Louis. So, I mean, dead central Illinois, right, right near Champaign Urbana, where the University of Illinois is. So, which had a okay. big, you know, as like my story goes on, or as I tell you about it, it, has a big 
part of kind of who I am. Um, so they grew up south of there in a little town called Villa Grove. And so my mother, it's interesting. My, my dad was, was so wrong is German. So his father was, I think second generation immigrant German, but his mother was a Cummings and she was second, I believe second generation Scottish. So on that Hmm. side was German Scottish, but my mom's side was both of them were first. So my mom's grandparents, both sides were German, German speaking farmers, all farmers in that area. Hmm. So I grew up with my mother being, you know, raised in a very Catholic, very strict, staunch German household. My father was raised um, a little differently, very probably, and he wouldn't mind me saying this because he's made an incredible life for himself, but very, my mother grew up probably on a farm, probably middle class to upper middle class. My father grew up like literally not like figurative, like dirt poor, like, like dirt floor, um, Mm. one of like five. And they had to, you know, cuddle together in the wintertime to make it warm and go borrow money to get oil for the furnace. And so he grew up in a very different existence than, than my mother did, but somehow they met and, um, you know, had three boys. So my dad grew up in a very musical family and music was a big part of his upbringing. And my mom just grew up like a normal farm girl. But um, I think once they got married, they got married really young when they were 19 and my brother Joe was born in 1967. Um, My dad started playing music professionally from that time to probably write. I mean, I think he played professionally all the way through to maybe the early 2000s. Wow. But they really went for it from like 1970 to 1970, right before I was born, 76. So, yeah, they they swung for the fences and they almost got it. So this being your dad and, and the band he was in? Or? Yeah, him and his brothers. They were called Dick Ronk, which is my uncle. He was the head singer, the head, the head and the front man. Dick Ronk and the Revenuer. So my dad played drums and sang. Uh, my uncle Paul, he played bass. And sang, and my uncle Ray played lead guitar and sang, and then um, another guy named Billy Petticourt played ped- pedal steel, and then they had uh, a couple of keyboard players that came and came and went through the years. But yeah, so they toured with Wow Dolly Parton, uh, played on the, Wow, played yeah Dolly and Porter show, played in Nashville at the the Opry, and you know kind of did it. And uh, my uncle got sick, I believe, in '75, some kind of degenerative muscle sickness and they made the decision oh, yeah he recovered from it. he's still alive today but um yeah they uh they made the decision if, if my uncle ray wasn't willing to if he wasn't going to go forth they weren't either it was a, it was do or die kind of thing so wow. uh so they pulled back and uh like i said earlier if they made a, a country and western version of almost famous it would be them because i remember i remember they had the tour bus when i was growing up they they still use it to play local regional gigs but I remember going to play on the tour bus and every weekend was a, a different gig somewhere and they'd play on a flatbed mm. trailer. And so I was surrounded by, by that growing up through divorced parents. I think they divorced by the time I was three. So my mom took me and went this way. And my dad took my brother, my two older brothers who were teenagers, you know, rightfully so he, he took them because they needed, you know, that structure of having my dad. Yeah, around. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that's, wow. uh, is there any music that is attainable of that band? Yeah, there is. You can get on YouTube, Dick Ronk and the Revenuers. Um, one of the songs is um, Let Me Kill the Bottle Bartender, which is very apropos since I'm a uh, 
I'm a recovered alcoholic who's, you know, pretty deep into the 12 step program. And, uh, you know, and you'll see as I get, as we get further, that's pretty prevalent in my family is alcoholism. So. And when I'm drunk as I can be, there's no pain and misery. Oh, let me kill the bottle, bartender. Oh, let me kill the bottle, bartender. So my dad had a, my brother had it made for him. He was on the Hot Country Singles charts, <laughs> and uh, I'll send it. And he had a song called Goodbye Alabama. And uh, uh, if I can get it, I know we still have the 45 of it. If I can get a digital copy of it, I'll send it your way. It's, it's awesome. It, yeah, it's pretty cool. So like I said, I'm not sure what it was. Some form of Lou Gehrig, something that was neurological. Mm. Or, so they, and I'm not 100% clear. I never, I probably have heard the story, but. I'm sure alcohol was involved, so I forgot <laughs> most of it. And when you grow up mm-hmm. around it, it's like, so I grew up in this environment in the town I grew up in where everybody knew they were like local legends and still are like everybody knew like your uncle, my uncle Dick and my dad, like, you know, it's, it was, it's really cool. But when you grow up around, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and it's sad looking back on it too, sometimes. Cause my, my cousin Donnie, who was 42 and my cousin Rodney was 40. Both of them passed away from, I wouldn't. Oh, gone. Yeah, from the disease of alcoholism and addiction, no doubt in my mind that that's what took him out early. You know, a lot of a lot of liquor and a lot of uh, cocaine, which you know I did a lot mm. of that too, and did a lot of it with them. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they it caught up to them, and uh, yeah, both have massive heart attacks at an age that I, I've outlived both of them. But yeah, so grew up in that, and then from that point, like. The divorce, I remember I was a little kid when it happened. And, you know, for years, I think this is probably, especially the if you're a child of the, the 80s when your parents got divorced, maybe compared to today that I've seen friends that or people that get divorced, the kids are a little more notified about it and a little more mm-hmm. pushed towards therapy and, and the parents are a little more open about it. Um, yeah. It wasn't very, it wasn't good times in our family. It was, uh, it was a yeah. very bitter and kind of ugly thing. And, um, I don't remember much of it. I just remember going with my mom and living with her until she remarried my stepfather. And, uh, I just remember her and she, she'll, I know she'll listen to this cause I will send it to her, but and she knows this and that, you know, her bitterness towards what happened was immense and it's, it's tamed mm-hmm. itself over the years, but you know, and I don't want to know what my dad did. I really don't. I love my dad. Yeah. Um, I don't want to know. And I don't want to know what she did. It takes two to tango. I mean, I'm in a marriage and you are too. And it's like, you know, three sides to every story. So it's, it is what right. it is. But one of the things that I grew up with that I guess, you know, being sober some years now and having worked a, a really strong spiritual program is that I've really gotten a chance to rewrite history. You know, it's not even rewrite history. It's actually just to see through, through lenses of honesty and through lenses of humility and, and lenses of humanity that, you know, man, my, my parents, neither one of them were bad people. My dad didn't, you know, I had a pretty damn good life growing up, but if you'd asked me at the age of 24, if that was the case, I'd have blamed my alcoholism and my addiction all on my parents. 
I would have said mm-hmm. my mom didn't make me do my homework in fifth grade. That's why I snort cocaine or my dad didn't, you know, wasn't there at my little league games. That's why I drink, you know, three bottles of scotch in two days. Mm-hmm. It was all their fault. They're all, you know, and it's like, no, man, I, I didn't. Man, there was always Oreo cookies in the cabinet and, <laughs> you know, I always had. Yeah. My parents, oh, my parents were horrible people. You know, they made me pay for half of my Air Jordans. You know, while my while my, while my other friends' parents just bought them for them. Though they were trying to teach right. me a valuable lesson that you work hard to get the stuff you got. Yeah, yeah, a um, tragedy. Oh, a tragedy. <laughs> it's like, but that's you know what? It, it kind of bleeds into that. The thing that I really see a lot with people in recovery is that selfish and self-centeredness for me started at a really young age. The world, probably around sixth grade, the world really stopped revolving around everybody else. And it started revolving around me and my wants and needs and my wishes, <laughs> you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And that's where like the root of alcoholism is as far as not even say the root, the root is this kind of this genetic predisposition of being unable to, to tolerate alcohol. And it manifests as a, you know, this, allergic reaction and you crave it more and then you have this obsessive mind but but underneath all that is this incredible selfish and self-centeredness that uh Mm -hmm. that pervades even once you get sober it's like i tell the men that i sponsor it's like you can see your selfish and self-centeredness now when you're 30 days sober because you're on the tail end of an ass kicking like alcohol's kicked your ass and everybody in your family is pissed off at you and the world at large doesn't want anything to do with you you can see how selfish you are but stay sober about two or three years and then, you know, start to see that you still really do want everybody to go the way you want them to go. And you want everything to work mm-hmm. out the way you want it to work out. So you could do this and that. Um, you start to see that. But that's also more of a, I mean, the alcoholic and the addict is definitely an extreme example of that. It says, you know, we're self will run riot. And, but that's kind of like the, the underlying characteristic, it seems, of all humanity. It's like, we can see it today in the political world, both sides or whatever. It's like, like it's all about me and my wants and needs and my wishes. And if everybody just did as I said, everybody would be happy. And it's, yeah. it's not the way. Yeah, it's just just not the way life's supposed to be. It's just not the way to create genuine joy and happiness. So yeah, by going back and seeing, you know, because I was thinking about this before we we're doing the podcast. It's like, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back and rip my parents to pieces and say I blame them for? you know, scarring me and giving me all this stuff. And it's like, if I'd have done this when I was 25 years old, it would have been a different story. But today mm-hmm. it's like, no, not at all, man. Were my parents perfect? Far from it. Am I a perfect parent? Far from it. I've yet to yeah. be one, you know, but given the yeah. tools that they had, especially the, that generation we were talking before, that generation, like men really didn't deal with feelings and, and uh, changing diapers and, <laughs> Uh, totally all that kind of stuff so but i remember making amends to my dad i'll say this and then we can move on if you want to is that i was holding my son porter and this is after i've been sober for quite a while and i finally went to make amends to him and uh porter's like a year old and i'm holding him in the pool and i'm looking at my son porter and i'm looking at my dad and i'm, I'm making this amends to him and for that one brief moment my dad wasn't my dad he wasn't anything other than another you know human being sitting there that was just as loved by God or the spirit of the universe, whatever you want to call it, as I am, as my son is. And I had this moment where, you know, I, my dad's sitting there, he's 60 some years old, my son's one. And I said, 
you know, at one point in time in his life, he was a little baby boy, just like this. And somebody really, really loved him too Mm -hmm. and really wanted the best for him. But maybe they didn't know what it was to give him the opportunity for the best. And maybe they didn't have the means to do that, you know? And I was like, so whatever he went through between then and now, it's like, man, he's off the hook, you know, that I, that I'd put him on. Like, no, he's just, my dad's made a great life for himself and for those around him. He's a very successful businessman. He's a very loving person. He's opinionated as all could be, but I love him to death. Is that such a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, no, he's got, he's a man of principle, even though some of them aren't principles that I agree with. He's hell, hell or high water. He sticks by him. There's no doubt that you aren't going to know what my dad's thoughts and opinions are and stuff he <laughs> believes in. And he's not going to yeah. wiggle on it, you know? Yeah. It's funny. Like the, clarity that continues to come to us Mm -hmm. as we mature and as we age and as we go through different experiences, whether they be ones that the previous generations shared kind of on the same plane or in their own different way because of changes, whatever it may be technologically or whatever it is. But those moments are so important, I think. And that's kind of like builds onto what you were saying about the goal, the life goal or the best achievement for a parent is when their kids no longer need them. But I think as a human, like I, I felt like I started having certain levels of achievement when I started gaining that new understanding of my dad as I continued to do things. And and that's the strangest thing. And I remember one of the weirdest things ever was that two things. One is looking back and going, holy shit, they were right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the other Mm -hmm. one was I am, you know, in certain things, I'm just like my dad. You know, mm-hmm. I, there are, there's certain things that I am my father's son, you know, and I really, you know, I was, I was around him growing up, but I, we weren't, I didn't have dinner with him every night in the same household, but there's stuff that I catch myself doing mannerisms and stuff that are just him. And it's like, I just genetically inherited this stuff and, uh, and it's a yeah. lot of good stuff. Not, you know, um, my dad's a very intelligent man. He didn't go to college and have that opportunity, but he's one of the smartest people I know. And, uh, very good public speaker and inherited a lot of this, my abilities to be able to relate to people from him, you know, and I consider myself blessed to have that, you know? Yeah. It's cool. The things like you're saying that, and I, I used to ask that of like all my guests, like what are some of the things that you catch yourself or do you even catch yourself doing things while you're parenting and think, Oh my God, I just became my dad. But (laughs) also like you look back at that, previous thing and you know you're seeing that now and three years ago and and potentially on a daily basis but it's you know your baby is one month old in your arms and they do something and you're like oh my god that's totally my look or (laughs) what my wife does or whatever and those genetic little things that we pick up as humans from our parents that get passed along, but there's also the things that, you know, that, that we don't necessarily need to fall on or continue to keep that thing going. And I, I think that that potentially speaks to what you're kind of going to start going into with the things that you 
um, have battled in your life. Absolutely. And I think that's a great, and that's a perfect lead in too. Cause I remember, yeah, you know, keeping the good stuff and, and the other stuff and letting it go. Cause I grew up in a very, um, still very conservative environment. Like the house I'm in now is very conservative politically, religiously, everything's very conservative. My father mm-hmm. leans very hard conservative, right? And believes what he believes and he's not going to wiggle on it. And sometimes when I'm talking to him, I'm like, you make a really good point on some of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, even today, like I don't lean that way. I don't, and I don't lean far the other way. I'm just kind of, I pay attention to both sides and, and lean. I'm just kind of stuck right in the middle and I like being there, but for me to kind of let some of that stuff, like, cause it can boil up sometimes in conversations and I try not to get into conversations of politics, but sometimes it's unavoidable. But even yeah. when I listen to it, like other people saying stuff, whether it's a, a left thing or a right thing, um, I, I hear my dad coming in the back of my head and I'm like, and I have to process that through, do I believe this? Or is this something that I've just heard repetitively over the years? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll table and be like, is this, do I believe this? I know I really don't believe that. I really don't believe that. And so I'll put it aside and say, okay, that's an old idea that that's not true. Yeah. And, and, and being able to be open-minded to, and that's why I like moving away and kind of moving to the city and moving to different areas and being around a whole different group of people um, that thought completely, maybe they don't think the way, maybe they thought the way that maybe I don't believe think today or what I believe, but they thought so radically different than what I was grew up with. And I just wanted to be around that because <laughs> yeah. it was so much yeah. different. So I can take bits and pieces of what I learned from those people, which is the truth and bits and pieces from what I grew up with, which is the truth and, right. and, and give them to my children. And, and I think you made a really good point is that we as fathers today, I think, have such a great ability to teach our children, boys and girls, of what it is to to be kind and loving to all people, regardless of anything—race, color, gender, whatever you, whatever it is—you have, you deserve as much love as anybody else. And I think we have that opportunity because we're awoken to it. We can see this stuff, and there's so much information out there that that we can gather that kind of debunks all this these old ideas. And, uh, and I, I just, I get excited for what two, two or three generations down the road is going to look like. I'm not a doomsday or I don't think the world's going to get, we're, we're headed for such beautiful stuff. You know, I don't think we're mm-hmm. headed towards ugly things. I think we're in a, a very, a very precarious tipping point part of, of society right now. You know, I really do, yeah. I th- but I think it's supposed to happen. People can be whoever's in the office right now, that guy, he was supposed to happen because what is happening right now is what needs to happen is that we need to have our, the blinders pulled off, off of us and look around and say, holy shit, there's a lot of people in this world that need help and need taken care of. Mm-hmm. And if we don't wake up to the fact that there's a group of people out there that just want to do what they want to do. It's going to get ugly, you know, and it's, and it's not going to be pretty. And, um, so, and I think we have the opportunity to teach our children that and not teach them one way or the other, just teach them what it means to be a respectful, loving human being to everybody around them. And then let them carry that into their motherhood and fatherhood and see what happens in that generation. Cause I remember growing up with, with, and this was a profound moment for me. It was so not obnoxious, but it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like it was my sister-in-law, her brother. He said, I, 
He goes, I am racist. I know I'm racist. I, 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 I know I am. She goes, but I do not want my daughters to be that way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's good. I'm like, that's good. But how does that equate? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you yeah. do? tell them this? Do you send them to, you know, Berkeley and say, don't ever come home. I don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. But to be that, I don't know. That's kind of a backwards way of being conscious. I don't know. <laughs> that is the, the complete outrospective yeah. methodology <laughs> to life. You know, yeah. I know that what I'm doing is wrong and I'm not going to stop it, yeah. but I don't want you to do it. That's very odd. Uh, it was odd, but it's like, um, it's good. It's good. But Yay. Boo. But yeah, but that's the thing is, is like, I grew up in an environment where, you know, it's pretty rural and very, like I never heard any, I never heard racial words. I never heard any of that stuff. But I, I've kind of learned in my, as I've gotten older, that racism isn't, racism isn't the crazy guy, you know, saying the obscene words. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, uh, the resume that gets shuffled to the back of the line. You know. Yeah, it's the exclusion. It's, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's why I really started to, you know, I don't want to get this into a political thing, but the system, the systemic stuff is that's that's real as real can be. You know. Yeah. Okay, and that was the end of part one of my conversation with Jason Ronk. I'm going to let the rest of the normal outro as I recorded it that maybe goes into a little bit more than what we actually went through. But nevertheless, this was just the end of part one. That maybe will inspire you to listen to part two when it comes out next week, which there will only be a week-long gap. And if you are a normal binge listener or binge watcher of things, then you maybe don't even have to wait that week. You already like planned this out and you're making your weekend of, hey, instead of binge watching Chernobyl or binge listening to that after midnight podcast that Osiris did, I'm going to binge listen to Daddy Unscripted and you're going to get both episodes at once and you're going to be happy as pie. So here is the rest of my normal outro for the Jason Ronk episodes. Okay, and that is the end of my conversation with Jason Ronk. Again, I can't say enough thanks and good things to and about Jason. His life, it clearly went in a specific way. And he, what he is using that for and how he is living his life now and how he has chosen to affect other people and help other people through the way that his life went, I can't give enough kudos and applause and respect to him for what he is doing and what he has done. So, Jason, I won't use it because I don't use sound effects, but there's just a huge applause sound effect going right now. And my hat is off to you. So, everybody, go show Jason some love. If you are on Twitter, give him a high five, a flying chest bump gif, whatever it may be, but show Jason some love. Um, You can reach out to him on there. You can send me the note that you want to extend to Jason, and I will happily deliver that. And you can do that through my email, which is daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Or 
you can look for me on social media and drop me a line there. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all as Daddy Unscripted. So connect to me on there. Again, I will say my huge appreciation to anybody who subscribes and adds the podcast on whatever format you're listening to it. Do that on Spotify. Leave me a review or a rating on iTunes. It really, we aren't lying when we say it helps people find the podcast. It really does. So continue to bring me some awesome people that you know that are like Jason, that I may not know, that I can have on the show, that can inspire other people with their stories and tell us about their parents, their dad, them being a parent, whatever those things are. If you know those people, send them my way. Send me a message with their email or whatever way to reach out to them. And hey, if this inspired you and said, you know what? Trey is my neighbor And you need to have Trey on your podcast to talk about his dad and him being a dad. Then I'm going to say, reach out to me. Let me know. Reach out to Trey. Let him know. Because there are these people, and I know it's far-reaching, but there are some of these people, and I will say this. like When I was watching Between Me and My Mind, the Trey documentary that came out this year, it was difficult to not do this. I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but all of the parenting stuff that was smacking me in the face and making me think about it. And yes, there was a part of me that was like, man, I want to sit and talk with Trey's dad. But also like, I would love to hear more about Trey's dad from him and him being a dad and all of that. So I will admit, like, there are those people that are like, yeah, I'm probably never going to have David Ortiz on my podcast. But it would be kind of cool to sit and talk about his dad and him being a dad. And so there all are those people that I think we can still learn from their stories, even if we are not living a life like them. I 100% believe there are some great lessons and stories from all of these people that even I will use Griffin House's thing, even 12 of us are going to benefit from. And isn't that good? That's still good. 12 out of however many, those people could go on to affect. I'm, do I need to go through this whole math thing again? The thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that are getting affected, they all come back to the one. They all come back to that one person. And I want to be that one person because I want to affect people positively the way I'm getting affected positively from some of these people I'm talking to. But I also know that I want to talk to those one people. So if you know who that one person is, that I need to have on the podcast. Make that happen. I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate each and every one of you who are listening. And the best way for you to help me appreciate you more is by reaching out. So let's keep this going. Let's keep this ball rolling. I love what is happening here. And I know it feels or sounds kind of horn tooty for me to say that. But It is not because I'm loving what I'm doing 
or I feel like I'm doing amazing things or this is awesome because I'm doing it. It's not that. It's what you guys are doing and what my guests are doing. And I'm just trying to help keep putting it out there because of the couple of people even that I hear from randomly that are saying like what good they got out of X podcast episode with such and such person. And that means a lot to me. And that one response even will keep this going. So I don't know what I'm saying, but I love you guys. I love everything that is happening. And I love all of the support and the interest and the passing along that you guys are doing of these episodes and of this podcast. I really do appreciate it because it all comes back to why this is happening and That is a testimony to the people who aren't here anymore. Oh, man, I'm getting emotional. Who inspired this thing to happen and who will not even know or realize that. But it feels good to me for this goodness to come full circle to those people like my dad, like my friend who is no longer here living with us like all of these other people who have affected my life, who have pushed me in a direction of doing something like this. So I genuinely massively appreciate each and every one of you. Okay, and it is time to now try to say goodbye to you in Irish Gaelic by saying, which means... Oh my gosh, that was the most difficult one I've had. And I did it to myself because that means health to the men and may the women live forever in Irish Gaelic. Oh my goodness, that was easily the most difficult and I probably made it sound like it was. So I will give myself the tiniest little pat on the back for trying to take that one on. But I hope you all have a great day. Is it so crazy to say be good to everybody you come across this week? Because that's that's what I'm going to throw out there. Be kind, be friendly, be nice to others. So thanks again for listening, you guys. 